Hello. Hey. So, I've got a few things to talk about before we start this episode. All right, let's hear them. The last episode on Alexander Vachuskin, um, I, for some reason, decided that I was going to make mouth sounds the entire episode. Oh, and no. <laughs> you said you hadn't listened back to it yet, but when I was editing, I noticed it a little bit. And now I, I can't listen to I it. I actually listened to the entire episode, and I was like, man, I'm really heavy on the mouth sounds. Well, so. I, can't, I can't listen to it then. Yeah, you don't my, like that stuff. My least favorite thing in the world. Yeah. So, that's... Uh, sorry to everyone. <laughs> I made mouth sounds in the ears of... <laughs> last last episode. Also, this episode is going to be a me episode again because something bad happened. That you want to discuss. So Shane's doubling up. Two Shane episodes in a row. Yeah. That nobody is going to like that. My phone's going off. Your phone um, is always going <laughs> off when we record this. Every episode, it buzzes in the background. You've got to put that on Do Not Disturb. No. What if... Never mind. I was going to make a bad joke. But, uh, um, all right. I, I'm really just not comfortable right now. Hang on. I'm so, go ahead and talk while I adjust myself. I didn't do this before the episode. I was going to say, I like how you... We have, we've been talking for 40 minutes, and you waited until we started recording to adjust your equipment. Yeah. So I'm going to do it like this for the rest of the episode. <laughs> it's um, not going to be comfortable for you. Also, because we covered last episode, we did chess. Um, the chessboard killer, actually. Um, last Sunday, I went to a chess tournament in Fayetteville, and I won. Good job. Because so, I said cool. in, I said in the episode that I wasn't very good at chess. Apparently, I'm really good because I won. <laughs> good job in Fayetteville, and I won thirty whole dollars, and the rest of it went to the Fayette County Humane Society. So, oh, hmm. that's nice. So there, huh, there's one less dog that got put down because I'm good at chess. So I want you to know. And it's going straight to his head. Yep. So I'm <laughs> basically a hero, honestly. Speaking of heroes, you can be a hero to the podcast if you follow us on our Instagram page and our Facebook page. <laughs> what? That was so cheesy. And you would also be a hero if you left us a five-star review on whatever podcasting platform that you that you listen on. Because I forgot to say it last time. Remember that? Mm. I always forget to say it, but <laughs> you can help us out a lot, a lot, a lot, if Please you follow us you. and like our stuff. And as I'm saying this, I'm realizing I forgot to make a post about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> forgot to make an announcement post. So that's, if you're listening now, wow. then you're probably going to be like... What a high quality production this is. You're probably going to be like, hey, whoa, <laughs> there wasn't a post for this episode. And it then it suddenly went up at like... 9.30 at night, and it was me. So, anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, there goes the mouth sound again. So, <laughs> you can you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, at Country Roads Creeps. And you can get access to see all of the photo dumps and stuff that go along with the episodes, and some of the memes that we share. So, it's good a good memes. time. It's a good time on the Facebook and the Instagram page. Specifically, the Instagram page is where all the all the funnies are. And then if you leave a five-star review, then we will love you forever. So, we have nine now. Did you know that? That's so exciting. Nine people left us a five-star review. Aww. And we want to get to ten so you can you can 
be the tenth one. And if you're not the tenth, then you can strive to be the twentieth. Yeah. Or the hundredth. <laughs> Hundreds would be cool. Anyway, follow us, please. It would mean the world to us. And also, I I wanted to talk about this on the last episode, too, and I just totally slipped my mind, but the podcast has been growing kind of, like, interestingly, where, like, every episode has more downloads than the last ones do, and that's very cool. Thanks for listening. That is really exciting. I appreciate everybody that's still interacting with the posts and sharing and helping get the word out. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, I don't, I don't really keep an eye on the analytics super, super close because it, like we release every couple of weeks. And so the only times I really like dive into our actual RSS feed or when I post episodes or when I have to go back through and look for like a, like a specific thing, but then I'll go click on the analytics tab and each, each episode is you know, doing better than the last one. So it's very cool. The creeps are growing. Yep. Cute. Creeps. We have more creeps every single time. Today, we're not going to talk about something that's so creepy. We're going to talk about another true crimey thing. So are you excited? Well, you like won't tell me what this episode's going to be about. So I'm really in the dark here. Yeah. So, all right, listen, something bad happened. In the world, uh, there is a man by the name of Paul Harrell who runs a YouTube channel. And it's like, a, I guess it's like a, like a gun and history channel mm-hmm. um, that I watch. And like the further on that this podcast goes, you're going to find out that I like history and <laughs> <laughs> spent like the last few years of my life in the gun industry. So mm-hmm. That's like your two favorite things in one YouTube channel. Yeah. And so, but he actually does a really, 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 really good breakdown of certain events in history. There's a few that are um, like very specific is the, the one that we're covering today is the 1986 Miami Dade shootout with the FBI. Mm. Very interesting. Good, good, good event that have well bad event that happened for the FBI but good for history. And maybe you shouldn't word it like that either. But anyway. That was an interesting the, the bad thing that happened is Paul Harrell got pancreatic cancer. Oh no. About six months ago and he posted a video basically explaining like, hey, he got pancreatic cancer. The only reason that anybody knows about this is because somebody was going to leak this information. Oh, no. And I really didn't want anybody to know, but to get ahead of the leak, here's the deal. That's awful. Yeah. And so then here recently posted a video where he's like, this might be the last time you see me on camera. I'm handing the channel over to my brother, Roy. So. That's sad. I texted Hannah last week and I was like, hey, I need to have this episode because this guy is about to die. Who runs this channel? They actually had a campaign. I think he was at like 800,000 subscribers on YouTube. And some bigger other channels um, in that industry made this big campaign to go subscribe to Paul Harrell. And he got over a million. Oh. So before he died, he uh, he made another post. Did he um, pass away? Not yet. Mm. 
he's close. So I don't think he's going to be recording any more videos super, super soon or not as much, but he made a post. Um, who's like, I don't really deserve this, but some other channels made this campaign to get people to subscribe to me. So thanks for a million. I never thought that would get that far. And so, but the reason I like him is because he does these really good breakdowns and he's very, very, uh, doesn't really, he doesn't really embellish too much detail. And also when he's giving his opinion, he actually makes it known. Now I'm giving my opinion. Right. And his sense of humor is very much like mine, very deadpan and like, it's kind of like dry. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I like it. And so he did a very good breakdown on the Miami Dade shooting in 1986. And so, and that's actually the video where I discovered his channel. And so in like sort of memoriam to this guy's channel and legacy, I'm also going to cover the Miami Dade shooting because now I have a podcast that covers interesting, creepy, spooky, true crimey <laughs> things. And this is one of the things that like when Hannah and I were starting the podcast, we were like, we don't really want to do like crime for the sake of it being crime. It should have like a, a weird factor or a creepy factor. Yeah. So we're going to get into some of this, some of this stuff. And eventually we're going to do a couple more episodes that are sort of like this, that are more true crimey and the creep factor of it, I guess you could say kind of leans into more just like interesting and rare factor and not necessarily like paranormal but anyway let me get into it so paul harrell as he puts it this topic kind of comes with a laundry list of caveat disclaimers and yabbits yabbits yeah that's how he says it <laughs> um and this is all based on or well his video it's all based on what he says his training, education, and experience, and what the available source material says. Um, so as we know on Country Roads Creeps, that uh, not all the source materials usually agree with each other. Yeah. And sometimes they can just be wrong. <laughs> yeah, no. And so <laughs> we're, we're going to get into some of that soon. But um, obviously Paul Harrell wasn't there on this particular day in 1986. Neither were we. So who are we to really give any kind of opinions or facts on the matter? We'll just do the best um, we can, like we always do. Yeah. Um, Paul Harrell did this breakdown because for most of the late 1980s, he was the combat marksmanship instructor for the Marine Security Forces School. And that was right after this Miami-Dade shooting happened. And so that was a big influence on the training that he received and the training that he would go on to teach. And a lot of the training manuals and books and videos directly from the FBI actually went to him and a lot of other instructors at the time. Um, and he took classes on the shootout, uh, eventually taught classes on the shootout, and even had the opportunity to attend a two-day in-person seminar on the event given by the FBI. So needless to say, he's extremely familiar with this particular event. Okay. Um, as far as like... The, like, the firearm stuff, because there are some, like, opinions that come into the story later on, and I'm obviously 
an extremely opinionated person if you haven't figured it out recently. <laughs> and the reason I have opinions is because I'm a competition shooter at a pretty decently high level in a few different leagues and spent the last, like, what, four or five years of my life in the firearm industry. Mm-hmm. And I've had the opportunity over that time to train with certain officers in competition shooting and defensive shooting and been in observation to some of their qualifications and I've been put through a lot of the qualification courses and it's really interesting. So So this is where your opinions are coming from. Yeah. So I haven't like I haven't been there and done that, but I've also been through the courses, taken training classes, trained with officers and done the competition shooting thing and the practical shooting thing and the defensive shooting thing. So that's where it comes from. And eventually this is towards the end of the episode. That's going to come into play anyway. Listen, in relation to firearms, uh, specifically the training, the firearm training in law enforcement and military kind of goes down a path that doesn't really veer off too much. Like, eventually, every, I don't know, 10 to 20 years, there's an event that really takes a sharp right turn and changes up everything as far as the military law enforcement training goes. So according to Paul Harrell, this is one of those events that does this, which it does, and also would be required reading if you're somebody that's going to take any kind of, you know, defensive shooting or self-protection or even competition shooting to a certain extent, you should probably look into some of the marksmanship displayed on this particular event. Now, Miami-Dade kind of shakes everything up. So, usually these events end up with the cops getting the raw end of the deal, which they did, uh, and it completely drastically changed the direction that all the shooting training was going on at the FBI and all of these uh, law enforcement agencies throughout the country completely changed everything that they were doing. So that's kind of the, I guess, the spooky factor of this. Also, um, the the reason, and I guess the the result of this incident, and the reason that they changed all of these uh, techniques and stuff that they were teaching, and a lot of the equipment that they're using is going to come into question a little bit later in the episode. So we're going to get into some of it. But one of the other, before we get into the Miami-Dade thing, one of the other shootings that we're going to get into is called the Newhall shooting. Okay. So that we can provide a little bit of context for what we're going to talk about for a Miami-Dade. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. This is Country Roads Creeps. Creeps. I thought you forgot. No, I didn't forget. I just didn't write an intro today. <laughs> this is kind of a disaster. <laughs> what? Because you were saying, like, how you just forgot your stuff and didn't have your things done and didn't write an intro. I've been so busy. Didn't make a post. <laughs> I've been so busy. Okay. So busy, so busy. We'll so get busy. through it. But And this is a lot of information to go into that, like, I wanted to make sure I got it right. So I was looking at a lot of different source materials. Mm-hmm. And then even today, like I spent a little bit today at your house, like finishing a video to like take notes on. So yeah, we're ready. We're rocking. Anyway, the Newhall incident. 
or <laughs> also called the New Hall Massacre. It's a shootout on April 5th or 6th in 1970 in Valencia, California, between two heavily armed criminals and four officers who worked for the California Highway Patrol. This lasted, a bunch of sources say, less than five minutes. It was, according to what I've heard, about a minute. Okay. So, um, four California Highway Patrol officers were killed, and another man was pistol-whipped in the deadliest day in California law enforcement history. So, this starts off. Um, and by the way, if you watch Paul Harrell's video on the Miami-Dade shooting, he goes into this incident a little bit, which is kind of why I'm bringing it into it. He gives the extremely condensed, very short version. In classic Country Roads Creeps fashion, we're giving the very, very long extended director's cover. <laughs> extended director's cut. <laughs> yep. Uh, Jack Wright Twinning and Bobby Augusta Davis were both career criminals with a pretty long list of violent felonies. Twinning had been in and out of a bunch of different federal prisons since the age of 16, including Alcatraz, where he spent five years, and he actually killed another prisoner there in self-defense. He was released from a federal prison in Tallahassee, Florida, 11 months prior to the Newhall shooting, and uh, he uh, had been released from, or sorry, Davis he had been released from prison eight months prior to the shooting and was on parole out of Houston. And so Twining and Davis, both of them met in prison and became friends. And so they both kind of failed to land jobs following their releases from prison. And they met again in Houston, drove to Sacramento, and they failed in an attempt to rob a bunch of banks. So they drove to Los Angeles in a 1964 Pontiac Grand Prix which is like pretty cool car to be robbing banks, <laughs> honestly. Like, if you're going to rob banks, might as well do it in a Pontiac in Grand Prix. <laughs> so they're on their way to Los Angeles. They noticed construction along a highway, and they thought they could steal explosives there to commit a robbery. And so they rented an apartment in Long Beach, and they started observing these armored cars delivering cash to Santa Anita Park. So they came up with this scheme to use these explosives to rob a delivery car on a freeway off-ramp. And so they returned to this construction site to go get the explosives. And so in their vehicle, they had a bunch of guns. So they've got them listed here. Um, They've got a Smith & Wesson Model 39. It's a 9mm semi-automatic pistol. They had a 6-inch Colt Python, which is 357 Magnum. Uh, Two snub-nose Colt Detective Specials in 38 Special. Uh, 1903 Springfield. Uh, in 30 out six, which is like a, like for those of you listening and don't know, it's like a world war one bolt action rifle, (laughs) like old school style. And they're very collectible today. Um, for who knows why it's a stupid looking gun, I think, but anyway, we'll just like them. Yeah. It's dummies like them. So shout out my buddy, Joey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, they had a Remington model 572 and 22 caliber. It was a pump action rifle, actually. And the pump action rifles are kind of cool. They just, it's hard to find one that actually works. And then um, 44 Magnum Ruger model 44 
uh, semi-automatic carbine. Ruger actually still does a bolt action in 44 Magnum, which classically 44 Magnum is a revolver caliber anyway, but that's totally besides the point anyway. On April 5th, the evening of April 5th, actually, uh, Davis dropped twinning off in the mountains to steal these explosives. And at about 11.20, Davis was driving northbound on Interstate 5, south of Gorman, when he made an illegal U-turn across the highway, almost hit this vehicle who was driving southbound. That was driven by a guy named Ivory Jack Tidwell, and he actually died in 2016. Mm. So, recent kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, he was with his wife, Viola, and he started. He got in an argument with Davis. They both stopped their vehicles, and Davis brandished a firearm. And so, he kind of convinced him that, hey, the cops are in the area, and Davis kind of drove away. And then immediately, they this couple drove to a public telephone and called the police. They reported the incident. So, all of that said, there were officers uh, who were coming on their way to the area. They are aware that somebody, there's a guy brandishing a firearm threatening these people. So, they show up. These guys who, um, the there's two California Highway Patrol officers, Walt Frago and Roger Gore, um, and they... What are you doing? Knocking my mic over. Yeah, it looks like it. I mean, I do that like once per episode. Yep. So, so got it out of the way now. <laughs> they started following this Pontiac. You didn't hear that, did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, they noticed that the driver was accompanied by a male passenger, which would be twinning. And so, then, these other officers, Pence and George Allen who were uh, also partners, came up in another vehicle. They were waiting uh, on a nearby road that were, they were ready to back up, Frago and Gore. And so they pulled them over. The suspect's vehicle exited the freeway, and this was actually nearby uh, the modern-day Six Flags Magic Mountain. So, like, built on a historic landmark, basically. <laughs> Six Flags? Oh, my gosh. It's all messed up. I'm making well, mouth sounds, and you're... And my mic is literally falling apart. Yeah. Um, I was laughing because you said Six Flags was a historical... Thing. No, I'm saying this is a historical place, and Six Flags built their <laughs> place on it. <laughs> I thought you were calling Six Flags the historical marker. Eventually, it will be, right? Probably. Anyway, so they pulled into this parking lot of a coffee shop, and they ordered the two uh, suspects, who were Twining and Davis, to exit their vehicle... And so they got out, and they the officers uh, went up to them, started to search them, and Frago approached the other side of the vehicle carrying a shotgun at port arms, which is like he's holding the buttstock down by his hips and the muzzle's pointed in the air. And as this is happening, Twinning exited the vehicle and opened fire with a Smith & Wesson Model 28 revolver. Frago... Before he could aim or fire the shotgun, he was struck by two three fifty seven Magnum rounds, and he was killed. Officer Gore immediately drew his Colt Python, returned fire at Twinning, but 
when he did that, he lost track of Davis, the other suspect, who was pretty much right next to him. And while Twining and Gore were exchanging gunfire, Davis pulled out a 38 Special revolver, and he killed Gore with two shots at point-blank range. So, Allen and Pence arrived on the scene shortly after this. Davis and Twining immediately opened fire on them with their pistols. They expent all of their remaining rounds, dove back into their own car for new weapons. In total, they had twice as many weapons as the four County Highway Patrol officer, California Highway Patrol officer, sorry. I'm reading my acronym that says CHP, and I keep thinking County Highway Patrol. I don't know why that doesn't even make sense, but (laughs) anyway, California Highway Patrol. (laughs) So Davis pulls off, uh, pulls out a sawed-off shotgun, and um, Twinning grabbed a semi-automatic Colt 1911, and it jammed after one shot, classic 1911 nice. style. So he grabbed another one. <laughs> <laughs> classic, like a, just like a Val Kilmer move. Got two guns, <laughs> one for each of you. <laughs> anyway, so Alan emptied his uh, Remington 870 shotgun, and he it says that he fired the gun so fast that he accidentally ejected a live round in the process of working the pump. Oh. So. Anyway, um, it says a single pellet from the shotgun struck Twinning in the forehead, but it caused only a minor superficial wound. And after expending all of the shotgun rounds, Allen opened fire on Davis with a Smith & Wesson Model 19, which is 357. but he didn't make any hits. Davis returned fire with his sawed-off shotgun, striking Allen with 10 rounds of double-op buck and killing him. Now, there's this guy, Gary Ness, who is a former U.S. Marine, at the time, he was a computer operator, and he was on his way to work, and he came across the shootout. So he got out, and he runs over to these officers and tries to help out. It doesn't work out very good. There's a very long version of this. I'm going to try to convince it, condense it down. And basically, he tries to help out, can't really do that. And so the uh, Davis uh, ends up shooting the, uh, one of these officers again. Um, it ends up killing him. And this uh, Gary Ness gets pistol whipped. He's runs away in a ditch. Other officers show up after Twining and Davis have, have left and fled the scene. Well, then days later, they would, uh, they would be arrested. So Davis got arrested and convicted of the murders of four California highway patrol officers. Twining found this house about three miles away from the shooting, held these people hostage. And then when the cops caught up with him, they spent a few hours negotiating and he ended up um, de-aliving himself. I'm not sure if Spotify will pick up the other word and unrank our podcast, but he gets rid of his own head, I guess. Oh my gosh. So. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah. So. After the shootout, circumstances of the event were pretty heavily scrutinized. The California Highway Patrol, uh, and well, them and a bunch of other police departments kind of reevaluated what their methods of training were. And none of the California Highway Patrol officers that were killed that day, it was found that none of them had more than two years' experience on the job. Gore and Frago were both 23 years old. Pence and Allen were both 24. None of them were wearing bulletproof vests, 
which they weren't widely issued to police at the time, but three of the patrolmen that were found to have died from the wounds that, um, that hit them, they were found that if they were wearing a ballistic vest, they might have actually survived. Mm. So they started uh, more widely issuing these bulletproof vests. Um, one of the big mistakes that they said that they made were that they walked up to the, um, the car immediately, even though that they kind of knew that, Hey, this person has a gun. Mm-hmm. He was, he's already been a little violent with it. He threatened these people with a gun. Maybe we should radio for backup and wait for these other guys that we know are in the area. We should wait for them to come back us up. And it's thought, well, maybe there's, if there's a four on two advantage, then they would have backed down and they wouldn't have been into this big shootout. So also three officers who fired their handguns were using 357 Magnum rounds, even though they had been trained and certified with 38 special ammunition, which has less recoil. That isn't as big of a deal as I think people want to make it out to be, but whatever the California highway patrol started to standardize their, their ammunition to 38 special for their carry ammunition as well. So that they would be training and certifying and carrying the same kind of ammunition. So then they also said that they were unfamiliar with their shotguns, which I said that he fired his shotgun so fast that he ejected a live round. It's a stressful situation here in a shooting. I don't know that that's really evidence to say that you're unfamiliar with it. It's right. just a thing that happened to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the big kicker. The Newhall incident showed the difficulty in reloading revolvers under fire without a speed loader. So shortly afterward, the California Highway Patrol became the first major state who approved the issue of speed loaders to their officers. Now, here's the thing. What they said was that California Highway Patrol had to modify their training to eliminate the practice of pocketing brass on the range. What they said was, and I believe they're saying this about Officer Pence, but I'm not 100% sure. I didn't see very many sources that explicitly named him. Not that it matters. We're going to get into it. They said that one of the officers who shot the revolver emptied the empty casings into their hand from the cylinder, put it in his pocket, to, which is a habit he picked up on the range, mm-hmm. to prevent himself from having to pick up empty brass on the, on the ground. And then he goes to reload his revolver. He gets shot in the hand. He was not able to complete the reload. And then he ends up getting shot in other places, and he ends up mm-hmm. dying. So, Paul's. Would you like to guess the next thing that I'm about to tell you? Um, no. I don't know. All right. There <laughs> is no evidence that this was policy to pick up your brass or, or to pocket your brass so that you wouldn't have to pick it up, even though there were some sources that claim it was. And the punchline is that several witnesses, including officers who responded to the aid of these four officers, said no brass casings were found in Officer Pence's clothing. One of the first, respo- first responders of the California Highway Patrol said that he found six brass cases on the ground next to the driver door, which would indicate that he dumped 
his empty casings on the ground. So California Highway Patrol thought that he had pocketed a bunch of brass, and they altered their training. They altered but what why did it they were telling people did. to do because missed something. It takes they their what their theory was is that it takes longer to pocket brass, make sure it's in your pocket, collect all of it, and then reload. And he was doing this but out of habit. Now during the shooting, yeah. they thought he was collecting it and yeah. putting it in his pocket. During, like probably not, right? Well, so in a revolver, when it comes out of the cylinder, instead of just letting it fall on the ground, they said that he was collecting it in his hand, which takes a little bit of time, and then he's putting it in his pocket. Now, it takes a little bit more time, but in the in the exchange that was going on, they say this is what caused him to waste the precious seconds that would have kept him alive. I don't think that's true, even that if he was pocketing gra- brass. But the point is, the California Highway Patrol changed their training and changed what they were teaching officers. And then it spread all the way across the country. There were plenty of agencies on the East Coast and in the middle of the country and on the West Coast who were teaching officers to do partial reload drills with their revolvers. Based on the story that was told of this guy pocketing brass, and it might have just been based on complete fiction. It never happened. Huh. So. That's confusing. Yeah. It never never happened, and they changed their training because of it. The Newhall shooting is one of these events that changed the course of firearms training for officers because it was so poorly documented, there's a lot of cases where none of the stories, there's so many stories, none of them agree with each other. Mm-hmm. So much so, they don't even agree on which year it happened. Oh, for real? Some of them say it was 1971. Some say 72. Oh. By the way, it was 1970. Um, actually, Paul Harrell was able to find a newspaper clipping where you can actually read the year. Yeah. That's also what the wiki says, and there's a couple other sources I found that say 1970. I did see some sources online, though, where they were saying 1972 or even 1969, and there were people in the comments of some of these forums saying, no, actually. I would go with the newspaper clipping. Yeah. So, anyway, Miami-Dade, are you ready? Yes. For the main course of today's episode? Yes, I am. Do you have any questions or anything that you would like to say before I get started? Um, no, not so far. I'll let you know if one comes up. Miami-Dade is the opposite of the Newhall shooting. It is extremely well-documented. It is so well-documented, it's actually called one of the best-documented cases of, of a law enforcement shooting of pretty much the century. Nice. So it's so well-documented that... The, none of the stories really change. That's so unusual for one of our topics. Yeah. Usually it's like, That's okay, the creep factor. So. <laughs> the, the information's <laughs> correct. Ooh, spooky. We have, um, co- co- what is that? Cooperation? <laughs> Cor- corroboration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sources are corroborated, oh. yeah. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm going to tell you an anecdote. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready to talk about all this good sources. <laughs> Story hasn't changed that much because of the good documentation. Now, I'm not talking about little minor little nitpicky details. 
the main bulk of the story and what happened is extremely well documented. It's so well documented that if I gave you the big extended director's cut version of the story, we would be here all night. It would be a four-hour long episode. I'm going to try to condense it down as much as I can, realistically, but I want to hit all the high points. But when we start getting into some of these details, there's like stories like when the FBI caught up with John Dillinger and they talk about when they killed him, well, there was the lady in red and the, you know, the story has changed to be the lady in red instead of the lady was wearing orange, which apparently she was wearing orange. I'm not talking about that stuff. Okay. But over the years when it's gotten popular to pick on law enforcement and not like law enforcement and stuff like this, People have said, well, the FBI caught up with him and they shot Don, John Dillinger in the back and actually he was trying to surrender and they shot him anyway. They pretty much murdered him. That stuff didn't really happen. So this stuff has kind of changed in that similar way where the broad details of the case haven't really changed. People have started to make fun of officers because being a cop is bad. So... Shout out. Mark the time and cut that out. <laughs> Throughout the course of this story, you're going to see, well, we've called it different things, but Paul Harrell likes to refer to it as the what if brigade. So like, but what if this happens and you need to do this? And they always cite something that has to do with this shooting, doesn't actually have anything to do with this shooting. We're going to get into it. But like the people who are extremely into like, you know, your, like your self-protection stuff or whatever, or even like officers that say this or like, well, I need this much ammo because you know what happened to those officers in Miami? It's like, has nothing to do with it and we're going to get into it. So people start telling the story with a car crash, which is fine. I'm going to back up a little bit for the extended director's cut. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. So. In Miami, or in the Miami-Dade area, for a little bit of time before this incident, there were robberies, hijackings, armored car robberies, bank robberies, etc. multitude laundry list of bad crimes to do. Performed by none other than Michael Lee Platt and William Russell Maddox. Recognize those names? Mm-hmm. Really? No. I didn't figure. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> They met while serving in the U.S. Army in Kentucky at Fort Campbell. Maddox first served in the Marine Corps, and he was working as a cook and served in Hawaii and Okinawa, and then was honorably discharged in 1972 after achieving the rank of sergeant. Then he enlisted in the U.S. Army, and he was working with the military police under the 101st Airborne Division in Fort Campbell. And then you've got Platt, who, sorry, you've got Maddox, who was also in the Army. They met there at Fort Campbell, and they were uh, both married at the time. They were going to get into what happened to their wives, but it was a little bit violent. Oh, no. So that's very good. They both died under violent circumstances. You said that's very good? Uh, in like a sarcastic tone, Hannah, yes. Say it more sarcastic. Really good. 
Maddox's wife, uh, who her name was Patricia, both were cancer researchers. Um, or sorry, she was a cancer researcher who was found stabbed. Her coworker, also a cancer researcher, found stabbed. That's not good. On December 30th. They didn't even make it to 1984. So, um, they were found murdered in the hospital laboratory. They had been bound and gagged with their throats slashed. And Maddox told investigators that he suspected Platt had had an affair with his wife. And Maddox was a suspect in the murder, but he was never charged. So, after his death, Maddox moved to Florida uh, at the convincing, I guess, of Platt, and they founded a tree trimming service and a landscaping business. Maddox married this other lady named Christy, who moved out of the house, and Maddox was really, 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 really mad about that. After finding out that she was pregnant and she left him, and she actually ended up giving birth to a son after Maddox died. Okay. So, this is kind of a spoiler alert for what's about to happen. But <laughs> anyway. Things don't end well for Maddox. Uh, Platt's wife, who he married nine years earlier from this incident, was found dead from a single shotgun blast to the mouth, and her death was ruled a suicide. He married a second wife, Brenda Horn, and before they went on this big crime spree, the... His second wife, Brenda, again, claimed to have had, um, <laughs> claimed to have had no idea <laughs> that they were armed robbers and bank robbers and How? going on with this crime spree. How do you not know? So, this is uh, that it actually says that neither of them had a criminal record before they go on this crime spree, which technically is true. But also, they might have both killed their wives, their first wives. Oh, my gosh. So, anyway, this is all, like, extremely confusing to me because it's, like, first wife, second wife, and then they left, but then she's, like, upset after he dies, and then, anyway. (laughs) Moving forward, all right. They murdered a 25-year-old named Emilio Brio when he was... Target shooting at a rock pit. They stole his car, used it to commit a bunch of robberies. Five days after that, they attempted to rob a Wells Fargo armored truck that was at a supermarket. And one of these guys shot the uh, the armored car guard in the leg with a shotgun, and the other fired a handgun, and they ended up getting away. So... During this time, up and down the, I think it's called like the Tamiami Highway, they had been doing these bank robberies, they had been shooting guards, they had been killing people, there were people that were going missing out in the Everglades who, you know, it was a common place to go out and target shoot, like this Emilio Briel, and they just thought, oh, they went missing, turns out they were murdered. So, they didn't get any money in their first botch robbery, but that guard ended up dying from his wounds later on. And then they tried to rob 
a professional savings bank in Miami, and they took $41,000 in three Wells Fargo armored cars money bags that had been delivered that morning. They kept robbing, and they attacked a Brinks armored car, and they ended up shooting that guy in the back with a shotgun. They ended up also um, shooting a guard with an AR-15 or an M16-style rifle, which is described by civilians. I don't know that any of the public had access to M16s at the time or if they Mm -hmm. got them off of other armed trucks. We definitely don't now, but which blows. But So they escaped with $54,000 and a Chevrolet that they uh, stole from Emilio Brielle. So then... They switched to a F-150 pick-em-up truck. Pick-em-up. Yeah. Then they robbed and shot Jose Calazo while he was target shooting in the Florida Everglades, leaving him for dead. But he survived. And he went on to uh, tell the police that, hey, it's these two guys. They've got guns. They've been doing all these robberies, and they've been killing people. So... So listen, are you ready? Are you ready for this? Listen. The FBI has been taking note of all these bank robberies throughout. Nobody can see me doing this, but I'm pointing them out as they... Doing the mad scientist thing. Yeah. The FBI is keeping track of all of these armed robberies that are going. The the Brinks, the Wells Fargo, Miami Professional Savings Bank. They took $41,000 out of the money bags. Uh, and they killed these two guys and they tried to kill this other guy and they shot a a guard in the back with an M16. Okay. They're catching up with them. One week later, on March 19th, 1986, at 9.30 in the morning, AM style. (laughs) Bright and early for a robbery. Well, uh, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) So, it was a robbery, but they were carrying a... Are you okay over there? No, I really need to adjust this mic. I was okay, trying to go do ahead. it quietly. We'll wait. Okay. Ever, the audience will just wait. Just, go ahead. It's really not working with me today. It started off strong until it fell over, and then it hasn't been right since then. I need to move it down. Okay, I think this is going to work now. Let me tighten this up. I forgot which way to do it. <laughs> Is literally righty tighty lefty Lucy. Okay, it's good now. Are you good? Yeah. All right. You're really just getting comfy over there while I'm telling you about <laughs> bank robberies. Well, like I'm, I'm listening. I'm invested in the story, but my mic was falling on top of me, and I couldn't get it to stay where I wanted it to stay. Okay. Anyway, we're good now. Sorry, everybody. So they've got a rifle and a short-barreled pump shotgun. The rifle is uh. They're pretty sure a Ruger Mini-14 for this robbery. It definitely was for the shooting aspect of this story, but they're they're pretty sure, unconfirmed for the robbery, it was also the same Ruger Mini-14. They robbed the Barnett Bank branch, the same bank where they shot and robbed the Brinks Armored Car Courier a few months earlier, and they stole $8,000, and they fled in Colazzo's vehicle. So, the FBI knows that these are dangerous guys. They've got guns. They've killed people before. They've attempted to kill people before. They steal cars, and they're robbing banks. 
and they know the car that they're in. Are you ready? Ready. April 11th. All right, we're fast-forwarding slightly, a few weeks. FBI agents are assembled at a Home Depot of all places, and they're going to do a what they call a rolling stakeout to look for this car because they know they know what it is, mm-hmm. right? It's a also stylish 1979 Chevrolet Monte Carlo. Ooh. They didn't know the exact identity of the suspects, but like I said, they did know. They're violent. They're armed with a bunch of guns. They've killed people. They've attempted to kill people. They love armored cars to rob them, (laughs) and they love small banks to rob them also. They set up like a decoy armored car? They, no. They should have. But they, every source I've read says, basically they guessed. They had a a hunch that the pair would attempt a robbery that morning. Do you love how animated I am? Yeah. The audience can't see it, but this is exciting. They can feel it. Ah. So, they participated in the search. um, 14 total in 11 cars. Eight of the FBI agents out of the 14 were in the shootout. So, are you ready? Mm -hmm. Here it is. The shootout. 9.30 a.m. rolls around. Bright and early again for a a robbery. (laughs) They spot the vehicle, the suspect vehicle, and they start to follow it. And another two stakeout cars start to join them. And eventually, an attempt was made to do a traffic stop. So, they were forced off the road. Car crash ensues. This is where the start of the story that everybody tells is car crash, right? Mm-hmm. Starts with a car crash. Now, here we are. Everybody's all crashed around. Nose first into a tree in a small parking lot area in front of a house, right? It's, everything's crazy. Of the eight agents at the scene, two of them had Remington 870 shotguns. Three were armed with Smith & Wesson model 459 9mm semi-automatic pistols. The rest of them were armed with Smith & Wesson revolvers. Two of them had 357 Magnums and five had 38 Specials. Two of the agents had backup 38 Special Revolvers. Now, this is where I'd like to point out, the weirdness part of this story comes from what I mentioned before about the what-if brigade. The what-if brigade is like, but you not only are you, if you're going to be a self-defense person, you should carry a gun, but you should carry a backup gun. And if you're going to carry a backup gun, you actually need... to your backup. You need a backup to your backup. Two is one, one is none, right? So... Mm -hmm. As dumbest thing I've ever heard. So, <laughs> right. Not the two is one, one is none thing. The, you need a bunch of backup guns for your stuff. All right. It is, if you look into any kind of the FBI statistics on crime, specifically on shooting and specifically on ammunition and ballistics, it is extraordinarily rare. So, so rare. In, insanely, impossibly rare. To have to reload in a gunfight. Oh, okay. Not only for officers. I don't think I knew that. It's so rare. Oh my gosh. So rare. Not only for officers. Officers, the only reason officers have to reload is because they like to shoot their entire magazine. Yeah. (laughs) That's another statistic that's, by the way, is so crazy to me. So back in the day, (laughs) this is a tangent. You know how we love tangents. Side note. Back in the day, all the officers had revolvers, five or six shot revolvers. 
What they found was that on the average officer-involved shooting, it would take between three to five shots to finish a shooting and a suspect go down, right? Mm -hmm. Guess how many rounds are in a revolver? Like five or six. Which means if it takes three to five shots, that means they emptied the gun. (laughs) Yeah. And then the suspect was done fighting. Then around the 90s, a lot of officer, uh, a lot of law enforcement agencies started to switch to semi-automatics like locks and six hours. And the Smith & Wessons, the West Virginia State Police actually carried Smith & Wesson 45 caliber pistols all the way up until like recently, like, like within 10 years ago. Mm. And they found out that of all these officer-involved shootings, it was taking between like 12 to 17 rounds to put down a threat, which means they shot the gun until it was empty. (laughs) So like it, so it's just because that's just how they're shooting. They just shoot it until it's done. doesn't really mean it. It takes that many rounds. And so, well, and everybody's taught throughout all of defensive shooting and law enforcement shooting, shoot until the threat is done being a threat. Typically means it doesn't really matter what gun you have. It means that, goes dry Mm. and then threats done. So, but anyway, it's a very interesting statistic that up until like 1989. Yeah. It only took five rounds to kill somebody. Now it takes 17. (laughs) Now it takes 17. And the only reason they're reloading is because they're out of ammo and they have to put another mag in the gun. Anyway, regardless, extraordinarily rare to have to reload in a gunfight. And you've got the what if brigade that's like, but what if, there's a bunch of people that you have to shoot, and you and it takes 15 to shoot everybody. And then you have to reload, and not only should you have a backup magazine, you should have two or three backup magazines. And now I'm carrying 100 rounds Yeah. for nothing. And you're Like, at that point, things are probably not looking good for you if you yeah. really need all that. And also, it's like, I've got 100 rounds of 9mm. 9mm, classically, like any kind of pistol round, actually, not the best for... Being very killy. Anyway, like a, a ballistics tidbit, not very good. <laughs> so, anyway, the they have these backup revolvers. Now, the, the weird part of it is the backup revolvers that are usually never used got used. The guys that were reloading two and three times, they actually had to reload two or three times. The stuff that was going wrong, like people... Uh, needing to use certain techniques that they weren't necessarily trained on. Guess what? They had to use techniques that they weren't necessarily trained on. All of this stuff was going wrong. And all of this stuff that like, because of the shootout with these two guys, guess what? Nobody was trained to handle this situation because this situation had never happened before. And they just had to make it up on the spot. You'll have that. You'll have that with those big jobs. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Two of these officers that had backup revolvers, both of them would be used at some point during this fight. So, apparently, Platt had a Ruger Mini-14. He did the majority of the shooting that day. Maddox was responsible for exactly one shotgun blast the entire encounter, which either, depending on which source you read, didn't hit anything or partially struck a car. He didn't do anything. His entire involvement in the shooting was running to another car. To get in it and flee. <laughs> he was actually later struck in the right forearm 
and the head and the neck, and it was knocked unconscious, and he didn't fire any more rounds other than that one shotgun blast. All the rest of the fighting was up to Platt. So there was one agent armed with a shotgun. He was wounded in the arm, running up to the fight. He was taken out of the action for the time being. We're going to come back to him. Okay. One agent lost his gun. We're going to come back to him, too. Okay. But his participation in the action was running away to look for it, supposedly. So out of the eight, two of them immediately out of action. It's a six-on-one situation. How do you lose your gun? We're getting into it. Okay. But just so we're, just so everyone's aware, when I say everything's going wrong this time, and stuff just has, like, everything, like, Murphy's Law situation, right? Okay. Anything that can be possibly any kind of way messed up is messed up. Okay. <laughs> everything that's going on, you, like, weird stuff is happening. Worst case scenarios. Worst possible case scenario, you're reloading when classically you might not have to reload. You're using backup guns when classically you don't have to use backup guns. Right. Like, also, they're getting shot at at the same time, so that's no good. And they're having to make up techniques on the spot to take down a threat that is violent towards them. Yeah. So, very cool. Say that more sarcastically. What? Very cool. It's extremely cool. It's not cool. It's scary and sad. Got a six-on-one situation. A lot of stuff happening all at once. I'm going to tell this, like, per event, so it's going to seem a lot longer than it is. But this entire encounter happened in a few minutes. Okay, I'm visualizing. The entire encounter, this entire shooting from the the crash to the end was like total four minutes, something like that. So one agent was armed with a 357 Magnum revolver. He was able to use a car as a supported position to shoot his first six shots at about an eight-foot distance. So the other thing is, we're not talking about like when you go to the range to target shoot and it's like far away, like, you know, for a pistol shot, like 10, 15, 25 yards, yeah. eight feet, bad breath distance. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> not good. No. Also, like when I think about like for competition shooting, right? Mm-hmm. Five yards is extremely close for competition shooting. So when I see a target at five yards, I'm like, I literally cannot miss this target. (laughs) It's Hmm. like, unless something goes totally sideways on. You have all the Murphy's Law stuff. Yeah. Hmm. No chance can you miss a target at five yards if you're a competition (laughs) shooter. But they're at eight feet, which is slightly less than three yards. So. Yeah. Just under. He, this officer, this agent was shot in the hand. Previously, apparently due to this hand injury, wasn't able to complete his reload with his revolver. And he got shot again, not fatally, but he's out of the fight. So we've got five now, five agents against one guy. Next agent, also armed with a 357 Magnum revolver. Some sources say he lost it, but more probably this series of events that happened is that he shot all six shots, dumped the gun instead of trying to reload it, to take out his five-shot snub-nose revolver and get back in the fight with his backup gun. So he shoots three shots, ducks behind a car for a couple seconds, comes back out and shoots two more. Then he dumps all his spent casings on the ground and starts to reload his uh, snub-nose revolver. While he's reloading, he gets shot in the hand and the arm. That messes up his reload, 
and the suspect runs up and shoots him again, not fatally, but he's out of the action. So, we've got four. <laughs> we're, we're dwindling down a little bit now. During all of that stuff, there's another agent across the street who's using his semi-auto 9mm, firing at a stabilized position off the hood of a car. He got maybe one hit. Another agent also had a 9mm with a 12-shot magazine, fired his 12, reloaded, had another 12, shot those for a total of 24 rounds, got maybe one hit, and while reloading for a third magazine, he was shot and killed. Another, well, actually, remind me, we're going to come back to this particular guy. Okay. Are you falling asleep on me? No, I'm visualizing. Are you sleeping during the podcast? No, I told you. Hannah I was is sleeping during the podcast. <laughs> no, this is this is funny because this was actually a strategy that I was teaching my um, third graders today during our reading lesson was visualizing. We closed our eyes, and when I read out loud, they pictured what was happening in their head to help them comprehend. And I told you I was doing that. If you fall asleep during the podcast, you're not going to have to visualize I'm not a knuckle asleep. sandwich. I'm listening. There's just a lot of details, and you know I have the memory of a goldfish. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to like. Plot this out as it was happening in my head so I can keep up and follow along. Listen, dog. I'm listening. Bring me back to this particular guy with the three magazines, okay? I got it. Another agent. I visualized it. Another agent used (laughs) semi-automatic 9mm. He fired what people call... When do you want me to bring you back to him? When I say. Okay. I'm going to forget, I promise, but... All right. Semi-auto 9mm. He fired what the people call the shot heard around the world. The bullet entered the suspect's arm, missed the humerus, severed the brachial artery, and entered the chest, passed through a lung, stopped just short of the heart. Fatal wound, but it's not immediately disabling. Okay. He fought for another three minutes. So all of this stuff that I've just told you happened in one minute. There's another three minutes of action that we've got to cover. Okay. Over the course of this first minute or two, all of the agents were either killed or wounded, taken out of action. But (laughs) here comes the first guy back with a shotgun. Oh, boy. Guy that got shot in the arm. Remember that guy? Yep. First guy we talked about because you visualized it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Got a Remington 870 12-gauge. Suspects attempting to escape by stealing an FBI FBI vehicle. So this dude shoots his shotgun one-handed from around a car. He has to, like, stabilize a shotgun on a car. And he's shooting, and then he has to work the pump. Between his legs, he's sitting on the ground, and he puts the buttstock on the ground, has to work the pump with one hand, and then he mounts it again, shoots mm-hmm. shoots five rounds like that. And while these suspects were trying to escape, he can only see parts of them while they're getting in this car or while they're in the car. So he shoots five rounds with a shotgun, advances on the suspects with a three fifty seven Magnum revolver, he actually won the first round, I think is what people say, with the shotgun, hit one of the suspects in the foot, and he's advancing with the 357 Magnum revolver, and he's firing at the suspects, and over the course of this entire encounter, like four minutes, there's 100 rounds fired. Oh my goodness. Out of total. The agent that supposedly ran away. Remember the second guy that I talked about? Yeah, I know. I was like, how did he lose his He had taken his gun out of the holster, laid it in, laid it in uh, the seat next to him, 
And when the crash happened, he thought it fell out of this door that had opened. Oh. And so he had to run away to go look for it. Turns out it was actually still in the car. It just slid off the seat. It was oh. still stuck in the car. But he also ended up right next to the uh, suspect vehicle. <laughs> Crashed next to him. And this guy has a Mini 14, which is a semi-automatic, fires two two three. Why did he rounds. take out of his holster and put it on the seat? I guess so it'd be readily available when he needed it. Because they knew what situation they were going into. Okay. Still, like... Maybe not the best choice. Looking yeah. back. So, he... He runs away. People nowadays, because it's cool to make fun of cops, are like, th- this is where the details kind of change. They're like, this guy ran away because he's a coward. The biggest lack of anything in this in- entire situation was not like bravery. Like, <laughs> no one in this well, situation is a, a coward. going on to it. He ran away to go find his gun so he could shoot back at these guys. He wasn't running away because he was scared. And also, he ended up next to a suspect vehicle who was shooting 223 through his window, like, immediately. Yeah. That's, like, doo-doo in your not pants situation. Not the best situation. place to be. Like, the... It's not ideal. Not, not cool, dog. <laughs> not, not good. Yeah. So, 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 listen... Are you listening? Yeah. All right. Waiting for when to bring back the guy with the three magazines. We're getting there. Okay. Not a cowardly thing to do. If you watch the Paul Harrell video, he actually does like a reenactment of, he's like, this is what this guy saw. And then the camera is looking right in his window. And he's <laughs> shooting a, an AR-15 oh through the window. It's scary to look at on video. Yeah. It's like, what the heck? I mean, I wouldn't want to be in that situation for sure. So anyway. Of all the things that happened that day, having a lack of bravery was not one of them. FBI agents that day were very cool. We are eventually going to get into some stories where the FBI agents are thumbs down bad dudes. Yeah. (laughs) That like very extremely soon where I get to talk crazy, mad, doo-doo about the FBI. This is just not one of those. (laughs) This is not one of those. These guys, cool guys. So, there was a lack of preparation though. They knew that... You didn't hear that, did you? (laughs) Your phone for the third time? (laughs) Yeah. They knew that they were going into a situation where these guys are murderers, attempted murderers, bank robbers, heisters, and general not cool guys. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Not members of the cool guy club by any stretch of the imagination. There was a documentary made about the evolution of the FBI, made sometime in, I forget which decade, but Paul Harrell actually mentions this in his video. And there's a part in the documentary where the FBI is given the authorization to be armed. And they're doing their training on weapons, and they actually give one of the officers a Tommy gun. And the quote, there's a quote, it's so funny, it goes something like this. Investigative techniques are pretty good, but for hoodlums, nothing beats a good machine gun. Oh, what? So that's the quote. And they knew that they were going up against hoodlums. And they also had fully automatic MP5s at the FBI that day. Those guys just happened to be on the other side of town. What the heck? They just weren't there. And they didn't give everybody machine guns, even though they knew where they were going into a possible 
needing a machine gun situation? I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> you spilled your coffee everywhere. I know. Oh. I'm so excited. <laughs> I get talking about machine guns. Do you need a napkin? No, I don't need a napkin. <laughs> Only to wipe the drool off my face talking about machine guns. Oh my gosh. Machine guns are cool. Did it get on the rug? I don't think so. I spilled it on my jeans. Though. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> bring me back to three the guy magazines. Guy with the three magazines. Yeah, tell me about him. <laughs> tell, tell you what about him? What you visualized. Um, you just told me to bring you back to him. Yep. So anyway, Hannah wasn't paying attention. Yes, I was. <laughs> said, remind me to okay. come back to this guy, and I'm reminding you to come back. Listen. This guy shot 24 rounds. 12 rounds in one magazine, reloaded, another 12 rounds. Went for a third, got shot and killed. Everyone in this situation, books that were written afterwards, articles, documentaries, there was even like a made-for-TV movie that came out about this situation. Everyone involved said, that dude, high-level competition shooter, very, very good with pistol shooting specifically, like... High-level dude who trained with his pistols and was very, very good. Better than everybody. They said, quote, he spent his entire life training for this exact situation. Oh, my gosh. So why, why in the world did he shoot 24 rounds, maybe one hit? The reason I say maybe is because there was a through-and-through shot on one of the, guy, one of the suspect's arms. They don't know exactly who shot that because they don't have the ballistics off of it. He scored maybe one hit out of 24. Do you want to know why? Was he not trying to hit them? He, no. He was actually in on it? No. <laughs> this goes back to the lack of preparation thing. He spent his entire life training how to shoot a pistol. Did not prepare to have a 50 cent nerd strap around his glasses were, that were apparently he wore Coke bottle glasses. Yeah. They fell off during the crash. And so he's just shooting. Oh, at he couldn't see. Blurs. Couldn't see a thing. That's really sad. Shot twenty four rounds. Got maybe one hit. That's really sad. And then and then he got shot and killed. So that's no good. No, that's actually really so sad. sad, right? Yeah. Anyway. Aww. <sighs> Woosah. That was that really. That bummer. That's pretty much the end of the story. Um. It, I mean, the shoot, like, that's the end of the shooting, basically. The, um, I will go into some of the aftermath of this because this completely changed the direction that the FBI was going with their training and with what the techniques were and what, uh, what weapons they used. So there was an FBI investigation. They put partial blame on the lack of quote-unquote stopping power, which is a fake thing, exhibited by their service handguns, which were 357 Magnums. <sighs> You've heard it here first. The FBI doesn't know anything about ballistics. So... <laughs> Bold. They, they don't! So... Okay. <laughs> I So, the FBI actually does really good testing on... Uh, handgun caliber ballistics and it's interesting to see uh, some of the results that they've gotten yeah. the the report that came out after this incident where they said 357 Magnum sucks <laughs> is so stupid 
And they said, hey, there's no stopping power. Do you know why there's no stopping power? Which is, first of all, a fake thing. is because they didn't hit anything. Your officers can't shoot. They didn't hit anything. So, turns out, if you don't hit what you're shooting at... There's no stopping power. They don't die. Like, your suspects don't die if you don't hit them with bullets. So, anyway, they said... Some of these guys were uh, equipped with 9mm semi-automatic pistols. Some of them had revolvers. They started to look for a more powerful cartridge. That's when they found the 10mm. They went to a 10mm. It was too much recoil for the weak FBI wrists that they had at the time. So Smith & Wesson came up with a shorter casing using the same bullet. It's 40 Smith & Wesson. You've probably heard of it before. And it's a junk round. And that became the popular thing due to the uh, the parent casing that it comes from and the higher ballistic coefficient, supposedly, than 9mm. Except for that now, they all use 9mm. So, that's interesting. Anyway, the other thing is brought up. Despite being on the lookout for two violent felons who were known to use firearms during their crimes... Only two of the FBI vehicles contained shotguns, and none of them had the machine guns that they had literally across town. That's crazy. Anyway, (laughs) um, none of them had body armor. None of them were wearing ballistic vests. Um, That's pretty crazy, even though they had them. Like, what the heck? (laughs) So, anyway, a bunch of these guys were killed in action. The culprits, who were Maddox and Platt, remember that? He was killed after being shot six times, and uh, or sorry, I don't know if I don't know if that was very clear. Maddox was killed after being shot six times. Platt, he was killed after being shot twelve times. So after the shooting, the families of Jerry Dove and Benjamin Grogan sued the estates of Platt and Maddox under the RICO statute for damages. And the lawsuit was dismissed because the families did not allege that. The kind of recovery that Rico was designed to afford. So they tried to get him under racketeering charges, even though they weren't necessarily organized crime. And also because everyone involved was dead. Mm. So that makes it tricky. Anyway, Dove um, was actually a West Virginia native. Bringing it back to West Virginia. Country roads creep. Anyway. <laughs> Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> That's why I covered it, because it's from West Virginia. Not just because it's super, super cool and I get to talk about guns for an hour. There's a road called Jerry Dove Drive in Clarksburg that was named after him, and that is where the FBI Criminal Justice Information Systems Division is located. And he earned degrees from both West Virginia University and Marshall University. Boo, Marshall. Anyway, the... Miami field office of the FBI moved to its new home in Miramar, Florida in 2014, and they dedicated two towers of the new office space in memory of Dove and Grogan. And they had a ceremony in 2015 to commemorate these uh, in memoriam style event. Mm-hmm. Bunch of uh, media adaptations. There's a made for television movie that I mentioned. There's the um, like documentary style uh, television shows that have episodes on them. Very, 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 very cool story. Mm-hmm. Very interesting that they completely changed the entire course of history for the entire FBI and what they were training. And it trickled down to literally every officer. Yeah, it's one of those ever defining in the moment events. 
what they said originally, um, and I, I kind of looked over it uh, in my notes, was that for the aftermath, they were talking about what ammunition they were going to use and which guns they were going to use. And they said, we can't use revolvers because there's not, they don't have enough capacity. Oh. Which, what I've already said was, in the 70s when everybody had revolvers, it, it only took three to five shots to take down a threat in an officer-involved shooting. And now it's like 15, because every gun has 15 rounds in it. Yeah. But also, they needed this, and it's like, well, you don't even know that, because the event that you're basing your information off of, nobody hit anything. Mm-hmm. They So the guys, they shot 100 rounds. The one guy was shot six times, and the other guy was shot 12 times. But there were, like, eight officers shooting, yeah. <laughs> like... Over 100 rounds. It's like crazy. So anyway, it's a West Virginia episode, as it turns out. Surprise! Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> anyway, um, like I said, if you made it this far and you like the episode, um, I did it because I like this guy who does this YouTube channel, and he's about to die. So that blows. Um, so I wanted to do it before he does. He's got pancreatic cancer now, so that sucks. But if you like history and analyses of different scientific things, he also does like some science stuff on his channel about certain. Yeah, and you said his brother's going to kind of take over it and keep it going. Yeah, I don't want to say anything about that. Okay, I'll tell you after the show. But well, I mean, like, so people can still go check out, like, and watch his past videos and people, yeah, check his, out his work that he's done and keep yes. that keep that going. Yeah, 100%. And um, it's very good. He's He covers a few other um, situations, and there's a few other like scientific things. One of my favorite videos from him is, um, like just not even from a gun perspective, actually, is from a marketing perspective, is why hollow points don't expand. And as it turns out, the marketing agencies that work for the gun companies said that they should test their some of their hollow points out of longer barrels when, in reality the hunting ammunition that you might be using is going to be shot out of a shorter barrel. And so you're not going to get the expansion of the hollow point that it's designed for with the velocity in mind that you get out of a, guess what, six-inch longer barrel. And so people are having problems with their ammo not expanding when, guess what, it can't because of a marketing agency. Yeah. Shout out marketing people at me. So, shout out the FBI, shout out California Highway Patrol, shout out West Virginia State Police. So, I don't know what West Virginia State Police has to do with this, other than that guy was from West Virginia, and (laughs) I've trained with West Virginia State Police guys, so. You just wanted to say it. Yeah, most of them. episode, and you can say what you want. Yeah, I can say, and the government, (laughs) and the moon, (laughs) and so, yeah. I'm um, glad you got to talk about something that you're passionate about. Like, I'm not that passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah, we can tell that this is not a passion. Guns are not a passion for you. I like them. They're cool. I like competition <laughs> shooting. It's it's a new season for Glock sports shooting now, so. But he's not that passionate about it, people. Mm-mm. Don't like them. <laughs> so. Not a major hobby of his or anything. No. You know what? You know what I can't stand, though, with guns and this is like this is like as political as the show is ever going to get and it's not even like a political thing is like 
the the people who are like into guns think that you agree with everything that they agree with. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's like, like actually I don't. <laughs> it's like actually that that's a stupid thing that you just said. <laughs> <laughs> like this is dumb. <laughs> and it's like anyway. <laughs> so I like to get in arguments online. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I saw so Shot Show just happened. This is like the biggest gun convention ever, and all these gun companies are coming out with cool new technology. There's a company that came out with a lever action rifle that takes something like an AR-15 receiver, yeah, and it takes AR-15 drop-in triggers, which means that you could have like a binary trigger in a lever gun, which won't work. But it's... I don't know what that means. The On a binary trigger, a round gets fired when you pull the trigger back, and then the action cycles, and then when you let off the trigger, another round fires. And in a lever gun, oh. you have to work the lever every time. So if you have a binary trigger in that, it's not going to work. But it would accept it. <laughs> like, okay. Which is like a stupid thing that somebody's going to do. I think it's interesting. I like <laughs> science. All so, right. and that's it for the episode. I like to talk about things that are cool and interesting. And eventually, I said this at the beginning of the episode that we're going to do some true crimey things that aren't necessarily like paranormal spooky, but like historical event interesting. Right? Yeah. I mean, do what you want. It's your podcast. Yeah, it's my part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to stick more to the like creepy, weird, odd stuff. But um, the only gonna, uh, go ahead. The, the only other true crime thing, and I talked to you about doing this, was the public enemy number one. We might do a mini sode on because did you know there's only been like four people named public enemy number one? I did not until you told me that. I remember, like, I remember you. There's saying. only four. There's only four people ever. I thought that was like an every year thing. They had a new one. Right. Like a new Taylor Swift drop or something. Like, I didn't know. <laughs> She's releasing a new album April 19th, by the way. Really? Yeah. I'm I'm not technically a Swifty, but I appreciate who Swifties are. No, I'm in the same boat. Like, I'm, I cannot call myself a Swifty because they are very dedicated. But, like, I definitely respect and acknowledge how talented and hardworking she is. Like, I like her, um, but I can't call myself a Swifty. Yeah, I you know what I also I do like? like I like I like her and I like her music. I like how everyone who said that uh they were done watching the NFL is super super mad online about Taylor Swift being shown for like out of the hour and a half that a football game goes on, she gets shown for like a maximum of 25 seconds yeah, and they're losing their minds so badly they can- or, or your feelings are hurt. They showed a blonde girl who sings songs about boys. Yeah, <laughs> get over it. <laughs> you're, you're dumb. <laughs> yeah. Like, get bullied, nerd. Like, yeah. what? Get over what is that? People just so, complain about everything. I'm just because she makes those people mad. I'm a slightly bigger fan of Taylor Swift, which yeah. is toxic of me. I know. No, it's fine because, like, people are getting mad at seeing uh, a woman be successful and happy. Yeah. Like, chill out. Let her. But, She's literally done nothing except. Support her boyfriend at yeah. the sport he's playing. Oh, uh, like she dated a football player. Yeah, that and people sucks. are mad at her for that. Like, get yeah. off her back. 
Anyway, I'm sorry. I interrupted you earlier. You were going to talk oh, no, about I was just, Am I going to do two episodes in a row since you did two? If you want to. Okay. I don't, this was an accident because this guy has cancer, but. Uh, I, I think I do want to do Amelia Earhart, like you said. Yeah, I was hoping you would. They found her plane, they said. I saw an article. I read. Supposedly. I read the headline. Yeah. At work. And uh, so my, the, at my new job, this guy, Jeff, was like. Hey, they the, look at this article. They found a million Hertz plane, and I was like, "Huh, that's cool." And he was like, "Do you want to know what it says?" And I was like, "I can't. It's a surprise <laughs> for the podcast." That's when I I think I texted you. Then I was like, I, "Yeah, I need you to do a million Hertz like soon." I think I do want to do that one next. Um, we had talked about me doing the Dialoff Pass. I do love that story. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I'm ready to tackle that one yet. Save it. Yeah, yeah I might hold on to that a little longer. So maybe a million Earhart next, and then I'll do one more after that, and then we'll go back to you. So I don't know what number two will be, but yeah. something weird. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. I want to do a weird next. What am I going to do next that's weird? How about a conspiracy episode? People would love that. I mean, yeah, you've been leaning up to it. Like, I love about it. time. Or maybe I won't. Who knows? You never know. <laughs> you never know. What's going to happen at Country Roads Creeps, where you can leave a five-star review of your preferred <laughs> podcasting platform. Whoa. Great. It would be super scary if you did that. Oh, no. Creepy. I, okay. Listen. You're going to do Amelia Heart next yeah. two, two weeks from now? Yep. Two weeks from when the people are hearing this. Mm-hmm. And then... I'll do something else. Another. Do something else. Can we do some minisodes soon? Uh, is it worth doing minisodes soon? This is... These podcasts, for the listeners who make it this far, they get to hear the business meeting, the Country Roots Creeps <laughs> business meeting. When we plan post, our next two weeks. <laughs> post-podcast late-night show mm-hmm. uh, where, we, where we plan the next... I got a fishing trip coming up. Oh, do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, we gotta bank some mini episodes for your fishing trip. Yeah. The for the people that made it this far, nobody else is gonna know the listeners have dropped off, but the people <laughs> that made it this far are gonna know that I have a fishing trip coming up that's conveniently the same length as maternity leave. How long is that? About twelve weeks. Twelve week fishing trip. <laughs> we'll discuss that more on the next episode, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> What a reveal. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This has been Country Roads Creeps. Follow us on Creeps. Leave us a five star. Watch out for the not deer. Be safe travel. I've messed it up every time. Literally three times. What is row. happening this year? I'm going to put it on a, a note card for you and I'm going to hold it up in front of you next time it's your turn. Be safe driving home. Buckle up. Watch out for the not deer. Bye. Uh,